0: Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, you'll hear a conversation about cancer metastasis with Dr. Don Nguyen. Dr. Nguyen is Associate Professor of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Anise Chagpar.
1: Don, you know, people talk about cancer metastasis. Maybe we should start there in our demystification of this process. What exactly is a metastasis?
2: Well, it's funny that you you mentioned that it's kind of a mystical process, because it's uh, a process that has been noted since antiquity. And really, it's not until, I would say, in the last 10, 20 years that we've kind of understood what it really means. So metastasis from, from the Greek means displacement. And so it implies the displacement of tumor cells from one site, usually the organ where they originally arise from, to another tissue. And I would say that <clears throat> there's two coins two sides to the coin of metastasis, and they're both interdependent. One is, of course, the displacement of the tumor cells, but also their adaptability to their new surroundings. Um, and uh, with, with recent advances in the last 10, 20 years and a focus on biology and genetics, uh, we're starting to, in fact, demystify the process of metastasis one step at a time um, and in the hopes of, of you know being able to tackle that process.
1: So why is it important that we understand cancer metastasis? I mean, so what? So a cancer goes from one place to another place. What are the implications of that in terms of treatment, prognosis? I mean, why do we care?
2: Sure. I, I think that it's, uh, it's, in fact, you could argue the most critical part of cancer because most patients... Um, don't die of their primary tumor. They usually die of metastatic disease. Uh, And the reasons for that is that by the time a tumor has spread to another organ, it's usually inoperable and also it's resistant to all forms of current therapy. Um, and so usually uh, metastasis is equivalent to end stage disease for most cancer patients. Um, I would say that that usually was a very pretty grim prognosis, but, in, but recently I think there's hope to believe that we can tackle this, this stage of, of cancer progression.
1: So and one <clears throat> other issue that I think um, people get confused about, and certainly it is a confusing kind of concept is lymph node metastasis. So we, we talk about distant metastasis, sure. but then we talk about regional metastasis. Are those different? Are they different in terms of prognosis? Are they different in terms of how the cancer cells got there?
2: Right. So I think that's a, that's a very good question. I think that um, in many cancers, um, being able to detect the spread into regional lymph nodes is a uh, is a prognostic step towards meta- towards metastasis in distant organs. Um, I think that there are certainly different mechanisms by which cells can enter lymph nodes, but ultimately, what counts is that the cells enter the bloodstream and then eventually see distant organs. And I think that's really the cause of of uh, of poor outcome in patients.
1: And I I do want to get to how this whole process works, but. I thought, you know, while we're at it, let's just tackle a few of the the common questions that people ask. So if you have a needle biopsy, for example, and you disrupt a cancer, can't you force that cancer then to spread and then it'll metastasize all over the body? And yet our doctors do that all the time to make diagnosis. Like, what's going on there?
2: Right. So I think that one very fascinating aspect of metastasis is that Uh, Although some cancers are more aggressive than others, generally speaking, we know that metastasis is actually very difficult to occur. So I think that if we take the example for breast cancer, we know from research that only 1 in 10,000 tumor cells that gets into the bloodstream can actually form a metastasis. And that's actually good news because that means that there's this window of time uh, that can be very long uh, before which a metastasis can form. And so if we could identify that window of time, I think that we could... Uh, potentially, you know, prevent the disease from reaching its full stage. Um, and so it's really in a very, inefficient process in the first place and so just simply disrupting cells mechanically through certain surgical procedures does not necessarily mean that the patient will develop metastases
1: yeah and i guess it harkens <clears throat> back to something that you started to allude to earlier which is that cancer cells also have to kind of set up shop absolutely uh, in their distant place um, right, right. and they they may not they may not be in the appropriate soil for that seed to take
2: absolutely take hold yeah you refer to a very um uh, long-standing concept from the 1800s, the seed and soil hypothesis. And that really is in a botanical analogy, which is that cancers are kind of like seeds, and we know that you you can spread you know, f- seeds for different flowers all over the place, but they'll only grow in certain climates and certain conditions, and it's the same thing for cancer cells. Um, like I mentioned back to the initial uh my initial point about metastasis there, there's two facets to this. One is the displacement of the tumor cells, and secondly, their, their adaptation to their new surroundings.
1: And you know, Don, the other, the other question that I want get, to uh, get to before we start talking about how exactly this process of metastasis works as we try to define what a metastasis is you know, you had mentioned that um, part of this whole process is cancer cells getting into the blood, right? Well, what about people who have blood cancers? Is that automatically metastatic?
2: Well, again, um, so we, we know of different types of cancers have different ways of uh, metastasizing and have different disease prognosis. Cancers of the blood don't metastasize as frequently as, as solid tumors, for instance. And again, I think that has to do with the fact that metastasis is this multi-step process. So getting into the blood is only one of the steps necessary um, one might argue that the more difficult step is, as you mentioned, the ability for cells to set up shop in this very different and this is a very different environment.
1: And so, if if cancers start uh, from blood cells, um, that's kind of their original home. That's right. As opposed to right. to to spreading other places. So so that's good. So I think that we've kind of focused now on what exactly we're talking about because what we're really Talking about is how cancers from a solid organ, something like lung, breast, colon, prostate, um, get into the bloodstream and set up shop other places, uh, which is really important in terms of prognosis. So, take us through how exactly that happens. How does how does a cancer cell decide that it's going to metastasize? Are are cancer cells kind of pre-programmed to think that way? Or is that the, the mission of all cancer cells is eventually they should metastasize?
2: Right. So I think that cancer can be viewed more as a Darwinian process. I don't think the cancer cell wants to go somewhere. I think that that happens through natural selection. And so if we take an example of breast cancer, for instance, or lung cancers, which can um, spread to the brain and to the bone, I think what you would have is a number of, um, if we go through the steps of metastasis, a tumor will acquire a, no, a number of genetic changes, uh, some of which will allow the cells to outgrow their, their initial area. Um, as a tumor grows, of course, it uses up a lot of local nutrients, and uh, once some of those nutrients get depleted, some of these tumor cells might have the capacity to go to other areas to... Kind of take advantage of new environments. And so a very small fraction of those tumor cells will be able to squeeze into the bloodstream, and once they land into the bone or the brain, for instance, they'll start to remodel their surroundings or take advantage of the available nutrients there for their, for their growth. And in the case of bone metastasis, that implies the tumors are capable of destroying the surrounding bone to release a lot of nutrients and growth factors that they can take advantage of. Um, So it has a a lot to do with the process of uh, adaptation and evolution of the tumor cells as they undergo a lot of genetic changes.
1: So how does a cancer cell acquire these genes that make them able to or want to metastasize in the first place? Because it would seem to me that if we could figure out how those genes are turned on, and more importantly, how to turn them off, we could potentially really stop a lot of people from dying of metastatic disease.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's 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 probably two, two schools of thought. Um, on the one hand, it, um, in the type of cancer that we study in my lab, for instance, lung cancer, um, lung cancer is one of the most frequently mutated cancers. A lot of that has to do with exposure to smoke or environmental mutagens. And so if you have a higher frequency of mutation in a cancer, you might speculate that there's a higher frequency of genetic changes that will lead to a metastatic uh, uh, cancer, for a cancer to be able to spread. The other side uh, of the, that question, and this is not mutually exclusive, we believe that one of the reasons why lung cancers have a tendency to metastasize, for instance, is that uh, some of the molecular circuits that um, increases the adaptability of a cell are kind of part of the initial cell types that are in the lung. And that has to do with the fact that the lung, even under normal conditions, has to respond to different things that we breathe. Um, and so therefore, when a cancer forms, it may already be predisposed to invade its local tissue or get into the bloodstream um, and adapt to new surroundings, which we think is something that might be you know, predetermined, if you will, in the initial cell type. So these two, these two things, these two forces, I think, are what kind of drives the overall propensity of certain cancers to metastasize
1: so 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 cancers may be automatically programmed with these genetic uh, predispositions to be able to invade. Um, and that may or may not be just part of being a lung cell right. um, but how then, I mean, there must be something on the other side of that coin on how you can, as a lung cell, uh, break down, bone. I mean, right. break down like the actual calcium of bone sure. and set up shop there. Sure. I mean, if we could figure out how how cancer cells do that and prevent that from happening, sure. maybe we could stop right. cancer metastasis.
2: So specifically, again, referring to our own research, we think that one of the reasons the cancer cells can adapt to, for instance, the bone or the brain is that Part of the genetic changes that they that occur is in their ability to produce certain proteins that allows them to interact with their surroundings. So uh, some of these are uh, proteins that allow them to uh, attach to certain surfaces in the bone matrix, for instance, and then other changes have to do with the production of certain enzymes that can break down the, uh, the bone matrix. And what's very interesting is that a lot of these uh, changes in genes and proteins uh, are changes that are normally seen in those tissues. So for instance, in order to adapt to the, to the bone microenvironment, the, the lung cancer cell will start to express proteins that other bone cells usually express in order to grow into the bone. Um, and those abnormal changes can happen very early. And so we hope that by understanding those changes, we might be able to detect lung cancer cells that have a propensity or are more likely to metastasize.
1: But what about taking it one step further? I mean, I'm sure that people who are listening are thinking, yeah, that's great. So you can now tell me that um, my lung cancer is a propensity to metastasize. I'd really rather you said, um, and we figured out a way to stop it from doing so.
2: (laughs) Sure. Uh, I think the research field is moving in both directions. I think that... uh, First of all, there there is a recognition that we can identify subtypes of patients that are more likely to metastasize, and that has two benefits. One is to be able to treat patients more aggressively that need to, and also to spare patients that don't need aggressive treatment. Um, these you know aggressive treatments that ha- sometimes have uh, detrimental side effects. The flip side is, of course, you know for patients that are diagnosed with late stage cancer, how do we treat those those patients? And those are really have been. That's where most of the challenge has been, but there's, there's been some recent progress. So for instance, using the example of lung or breast cancer patients, especially that develop bone metastasis, there are specific types of drugs that can be uh, used to inhibit the growth of these tumor cells in the bone. And what's very interesting is that those therapies are actually things that we already existed. Uh, some of the drugs that have shown benefit in the clinic are actually drugs that uh, Women use women that suffer from osteoporosis use for, for treatment, and these compounds have shown to be effect- efficacious in um, in breast cancer patients.
1: We're going to pick up with uh, how we treat bone metastases and a little bit more on the genetics of cancer metastasis and what we can do about this mysterious little problem. Uh, right after we take a short break for a medical minute, please stay tuned to learn more information about cancer metastasis with my guest, Doctor Don Nguyen.
0: The American Cancer Society estimates that in 2014, there'll be over 75,000 new cases of melanoma in this country, with over 1,000 of these patients living in Connecticut. While melanoma accounts for only about 4% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. Early detection is the key, and when detected early, melanoma is easily treated and highly curable. Patients with advanced melanoma have more hope than ever before. Each day, patients are surviving the disease due to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven to test innovative new treatments for melanoma. The goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence, (SPOR) in skin cancer grant is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering the targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined today by our guest, Dr. Don Wynn. We're talking about cancer metastasis, particularly in lung cancer, where he has a lab that is looking at how cancers metastasize, how they escape from where they are in a solid organ like the lung and get into the bloodstream and take up shop in other places, uh, which has a dismal prognosis for patients. So Dawn, I want to take us a step back. We talked a little bit before the break about kind of the clinical implications of of, uh, cancer metastasis. But I want to now understand a bit more about how you go about the process of molecular discovery, how you figure out what genes are turned on and off, um, to make cancers do what they do. So can you take us through that process a bit?
2: Sure. So um, in our lab, we we start with the uh, assumption that everything has to start from patient material. I think that's where the most information, the most useful information can be gleaned. So given the genetic complexity of cancer as a disease, we use um, a lot of high-end level computational analysis of human material. So, So for instance, Uh, patients that undergo surgery, typically early-stage patients, where their tumors are removed, we have access to uh, sample sets where those tumors have been analyzed at the gene level to look at, um, you know, broad ranges of abnormal uh, patterns of genes that are either increased or decreased, or genes that are mutated. Um, And often we find that gene mutations alone are are not sufficient to explain how tumor cells metastasize. Um, and so we start off by analyzing these different patterns of uh, genetic changes and see how it associates with a patient's prognosis, whether this patient went on to develop metastasis or, or went on to um, develop resistance to therapy or patients that responded to particular th- sets of therapies. And starting from that very complex information, we kind of integrate it in such a way that allows us to uh, propose certain testable hypotheses that we then apply in a number of experiments in the lab.
1: So let me, let me uh, uh, stop you there just for a quick uh, couple of clarifying questions. The first is, when people talk about cancers, they often say that n- even within a cancer, um, there are multiple different cells, and there's, it's really quite a heterogeneous environment. So how do you take advantage of that information? Or are all lung cancers that cells... That are within a certain tumor going to behave identically or do you kind of sample different areas to try to get a sense of that heterogeneity? How does that work?
2: Well, that's a really fascinating question. Um, from our perspective in, in the approach in my lab, um, we tend to steal a lot of information from other from other uh, fields and one of the most useful fields to understanding cancer is actually just normal biology, normal development. And I think that um, there's a, lo- a rich Body of scientific discovery that that has described what normal cells in the lung look like, what genes they should be expressing, and also um, what different cell types are within the lung. And so, using that information, we can then infer that we can then we believe we can infer the composition of 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 uh, tumors and then to identify pathways that are linked to specific cell types and to kind of simplify the problem and then of course test those hypotheses in, uh, in model systems that allows us to directly assess um, whether a certain molecule expressed in a certain cell contributes to metastasis.
1: So tell us a little bit more about how you how you kind of look at these, these cells in model systems. How does that work?
2: So there's a variety of model systems that we use in our lab. Um, The first is that we can uh, manipulate certain genes in cancer cells. So we can use uh, well-established human cancer cell lines that we can grow in the lab and uh, manipulate in such a way to uh, affect their ability to metastasize. And the way that we assay for these different capacities is actually by, for instance, transplanting these cells into a mouse. The mouse models have actually proven to be very uh, efficient and very useful at understanding the biology of cancer in general. And so that's a very good uh, experimental model system to understand the different steps of metastasis. The other approach that we use also is to generate uh, lung cancers in a mouse. So this would be tumors that are generated from the start in in the mouse, and this is using approaches that are referred to as genetically engineered mouse models.
1: So... You know, a lot of people talk about mouse models, and a lot of science is actually based off of mouse models. But you know, i I wonder how how much can you really translate it from mice? I mean,, uh, this isn't really the story of mice and men. I mean, but <laughs> but but isn't there a difference? I mean, um, you would think that the human model is so much more complex um how how tight is that linkage can you really can you really take discoveries that you find in a mouse or pathways that are are working or not working in a mouse um and translate that into human biology
2: there's no doubt that you know scientific history tells us that that's possible i think that uh, but at the same time we do have to acknowledge limitations of the mouse model uh one of the limitations of course is that uh even when you develop cancers in mice, they're never as genetically complex as as cancers in, in humans. Um, this is why I think an, a complementary approach is to, use, to, to start with human material and see how it behaves. The mouse model, however, is essential to understand the process of metastasis because as we talked a little bit about in the first segment of how, what is the process of metastasis, well, it's a very complex series of physiological events. It starts with the tumor's uh, starting from a single cell in in the lung, for instance, growing in that environment and then uh, escaping from the lung and then getting into circulation and then going through certain circulatory patterns and surviving that torturous trip to lead to a distant organ and then getting out of the bloodstream into a new organ and then growing out. And so without a animal model system, you can't really recapitulate that. And uh, the mouse model is one of the best-studied physiological systems that, that we have at, our, at, our, at, at hand at the present moment.
1: So tell us a little bit more about how you use that, that model to figure out what genes, I mean, when I think about this, I think that you've got a series of steps, and at each step you've got a light that goes on or goes off that allows certain genes to be turned on or turned off that allows these cancer cells to move to the next step. Okay, this particular gene, if it's turned on, it's going to allow these cancer cells to to diapodise to kind of get out into the into the circulation, and then when they finally get out of the circulation and into the bone, you're going to have other genes that are turned right, on right, right. that are going to help it to chew down the, the 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 bony structures. How do you figure out which genes do that?
2: Well, you know, I think that essentially, again, getting back to the mouse model, we have ways to uh, detect where and when the tumor cells are. And I think that uh, one of the the technologies we use is uh, whole animal imaging, so whole body imaging, so that we can trace... Where the cells are, where they're going, and and how fast they're growing.
1: Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, 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 when you're you can trace these little cancer cells. Like cells are microns, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So there's there's a lot of advances in terms of uh, uh, imaging. So we can basically kind of uh, you know it's like putting a a, a name tag onto uh, a cancer and then being being able to kind of scan it as it as it travels through through an animal. And so that really has kind of I would say been a major breakthrough in, in studying cancer metastasis because previously it's been very difficult to detect small numbers of cells that are traveling you know, throughout the bloodstream. And uh, so I think with these new technologies, we'll be able to detect small number of cells in different areas, and that really is going to help to unlock some of the different mechanisms of metastasis.
1: And so once you identify where these cancer cells are, where they're traveling, how then do you still, I mean, so, okay, so now you know that the cancer cell went from the lung, it's now in the bloodstream, and then five minutes later, okay, now it's, it's you know, knocking at the door of the bone. How do you know what genes are turned on, even when you know where these cancer cells right. are? So,
2: so it gets, uh, again, to being able to detect when and where the cells are. Once you're able to do that, you can sample these tumors and then use some of the genetic Uh, Technologies that I've described previously to identify what changes are associated, for instance, with cells that are sitting in circulation, what changes are associated with cells sitting in the bone or the brain microenvironment, and which changes, uh, which of those changes appeared very early as the tumor grew in the lung. Because one of the things that I want to emphasize from our research that we're finding is that a lot of the changes that are Detected and required for these different later steps for cells to grow in different uh, sites can be detected in, in early-stage tumors. And we think that that provides an explanation for uh, the fact that a, a significant proportion of lung cancer patients, even though we, you can detect their tumors at very early stages, will go on to develop metastasis fairly quickly. Um, and uh, And so these would be opportunities for early therapeutic intervention. We think that would have very... Uh, high clinical benefit down the line.
1: So speaking of how we translate what you're doing in the laboratory, which sounds fascinating, to what is going on in the clinic, Mm a few questions. So the first question is, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, next generation whole genome sequencing and genetic mutations and all of these fancy alphabet soup genes uh, that people are targeting, um, how does that correlate with the genes that you're talking about?
2: Right. So I think that um, often when we talk about all of these, like you said, alphabet soup, we tend to forget that uh, at its core, in order to understand disease, w- disease, we have to understand its biology. And so I think the challenge for the scientific community is to take all this alphabet soup and to try to use that information, which really is just a roadmap, and try to piece together you know, which which parts of this roadmap will lead to cancer metastasis or lead to resistance to therapy or lead to therapeutic response, which is what we really want to do. Um, and so, as I mentioned, our lab uses a very integrated approach. We have in my lab different People with different skill sets that can integrate these different types of information um, that we then go on to test in the biological model in order to simplify all of this complex information to determine what of this information is relevant and what of this information is not.
1: And then the other the other question that comes out is, you know, when people are thinking about how you do this whole body imaging of this mouse, and and I'm just, I'm thinking about a a cancer cell having a flag as it runs through the circulation and you're watching this thing uh, uh, putter about. Does the same kind of technology exist for humans? I mean, can you actually tag a cancer cell and watch it circulate and then use that same technology to see what genes are turned on and off in the human system?
2: Right. So I think that the technology is moving there, definitely. I think that uh, one of the benefits of studying the basic biology of metastasis is, as you mentioned, we've identified genes that are apparently expressed in certain tumors, now what we hope to do is to be able to use those same genes as markers to then develop imaging reagents towards those molecules and to then be able to trace uh, tumor cells in a, in a human being. Um, there are other types of technologies actually, that where we can actually detect tumor cells from the blood. Um, several of my colleagues here at the Cancer Center are interested in sampling blood from cancer patients and to detect what's called circulating tumor cells. So um, there's a lot of different technologies, I think, that I think are on the cusp of being being deployed and allowing us to image in patients uh, cancer cells.
1: So the other question that frequently comes up, and, and I appreciate the fact that you know, uh, learning how cancer cells work, where they're going, what genes are expressed when they're in the circulation, um, leads us to uh, identify circulating tumor cells and and get better imaging, uh, which is fabulous. But I think for a lot of cancer patients, it's more than detection. It's, okay, so once you've detected, then what? How do you uh, search and and actually kill cancer cells? In our last minute, can you tell us what you think are going to be the key therapeutic promises for metastatic disease?
2: Right. I think that, again, it's getting back to this notion of integration. I think that um, there's been a lot of technological advances. We have a clear understanding of the genetic changes that leads to a tumor. And now I think a lot of the new therapies that are going to be deployed to treat metastasis have to do with how do we interfere with the tumor cell's ability to interact with its surrounding, its its tissue. And that implies, uh, for instance, immunotherapy that's become prominent. How do we tell your body to react to these tumor cells? And vice versa, how do we tell the tumor cells to react differently to its environment to stop it from taking advantage of that surrounding? I think that's
0: the key. Dr. Don Nguyen is Associate Professor of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.